Hello there, and welcome to the SLP Now podcast, where we share practical therapy tips and ideas for busy speech-language pathologists. Grab your favorite beverage and sit back as we dive into this week's episode. Hello there, and welcome to the SLP Now podcast. I am so excited to introduce our guest today, Angie Merced. Um, Angie is a certified life coach by Life Coach School and a school-based SLP. She lives with her husband and two little girls in Rochester, New York, and her passion is to rescue SLPs who are feeling overwhelmed, overworked, and trapped in a career that they're quote-unquote supposed to love, which if you don't relate to that, then (laughs) um, I don't know. But I feel like this, I've just been Uh, consuming some of Angie's content, and it's been so incredibly helpful. And I can see how she shows her clients how to reclaim their energy, create more time, and generate resources. Um, And she's just on a mission to help whip smart SLPs do less, be more, and thrive with joy in the one life they have. So I cannot wait to dive into a discussion all about burnout today with Angie. Um, So without further ado, hello, Angie. Hello. So excited. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I cannot wait to dive into the questions that we have uh, for today's podcast because I feel like this is something that all of us struggle with at least at in some point, at some point in our career, if not frequently throughout our career. Um, So I cannot wait. Uh, But before we dive into the burnout discussion, I'm just so incredibly curious to hear about, well, first, just your experience as an SLP, but then also about how you became a life coach and like that journey as well. Yes. So... I graduated, so I graduated with my undergraduate degree um, back in 2001, and I started working uh, with preschoolers, and right out the gate, (laughs) I was pretty burned out, like three or four months in. (laughs) Um, So that was my first round of burnout that I, that I had, and that really, that, and that place was coming from a, like a severe anxiety and and lack of confidence and that um what do they call it um what i'm trying to think impersonator syndrome or yeah imposter Imposter syndrome Syndrome. (laughs) yeah that's what i'm thinking of but um so that was kind of my first round of of burnout which i did you know back then i didn't have like the life coaching tools that i have now But I was able to use enough resources that I was able to come out of it. I worked for two years. That was back when you could work with an undergraduate degree. I don't think in New York State, I don't think you can do that anymore. But so then I went back to graduate school and and graduated from graduate school in, in 2004. And I went back to working with preschoolers, which was, um, fun because I had done that before. I was at a different agency. But after a couple years there, I started realizing, you know, I'm going to work and I'm coming home and putting my pajamas on and going to bed. Like that's all I had energy for. So that was like another round of burnout that I had. And, um, you know, so I was looking, looking at my options and I thought, well, maybe I need to change my setting, you know, get going to a different job. And I did find a job in a school district back in 2007. And I thought it was great because, you know, there I was going to have like a planning period and I got some other perks working in the school. But there again, <laughs> Within that first year of that job, I found found myself in burnout again. And, um, you know, I was learning all new processes, working with a different population. Um, again, that lack of confidence, for, for me, that lack of confidence was coming up. And, you know, so at that point, 
and that's so let's see by about 2010 2011 I said well I'm gonna quit being an SLP and I'm gonna become a life coach because ever since I was a, kid, a teenager probably I've just been obsessed with like reading self-help books and watching Oprah and things like that I was just so interested in mental health and be, and becoming a life coach so I decided that so I thought I'm gonna quit my job then I'm gonna become a life coach and I did and the amazing miracle awesome thing that happened was in the process of becoming a life coach I learned the skills of managing my mental and emotional world and I learned how to I just learned how to the skill, the literal skill of loving my job. And so then I found myself in a place where I didn't have to quit my job. Like there was no, I didn't have to escape my job anymore, which was fun. And so I stayed <laughs> and I'm still there. I'm still in the same district. So yeah. Oh, wow. That is like, and you should, I'm glad that there's no video here because I was like nodding my head, like, like a bobblehead because there's so much in your story that I can relate to. Um, and I just love that you like were able to learn the skills that you needed to, to not need to escape, but then you're also able to help other SLPs figure that out for themselves. Yes. Yeah. So now like. You know, I hear about these people are, I mean, we're struggling, they're struggling. And I just want to do everything I can to get people some tips and, and just help people take some agency over their career and over their life. Yeah, that is so amazing. And I am even more excited to dive in because um, I like I frequently talk about or talk with the SLPs who are in my membership or just in my community in general, like on Instagram. And one of the biggest things that comes up is like they don't feel confident and they are just really struggling and not feeling great about much of anything that they're doing, which I think that like I mean, you're the expert here, but I think that definitely contributes to the burnout. And you just kept mentioning that confidence. Um, and that's something that I've heard from like hundreds and thousands of SLPs even, um, that that's a real struggle. Yeah, that, I mean, it really is. It's, it's not the case for everyone who's struggling, but yes, that is a huge piece of it. And I think it's like just the broad scope of practice and especially in the schools, we can like there's so much on our like paperwork on our plate and then all just big caseloads and all of those things. So um, I'm excited to hear your perspective, but I think that makes sense. Um, so the first question is like, can you tell us just a little bit about like what you've seen with SLPs and burnout? Like how many... Do you have any information about like how many SLPs struggle with it or what the patterns are? Um, kind of what you're yes. saying there. So, um, you know, we are givers, right? We're teachers and we're guiders and, and we're healers and we serve and we help and that's what we do. And a lot of us struggle from burnout. And so I've done a lot of searching for like stats on, you know, what percentage, and there are some studies that are definitely relatable to our field. So um, about 20 to 30% of teachers in America have moderate to high levels of burnout. About 52% of medical professionals, so we're thinking doctors, nurses, um, have moderate to high levels of burnout. So those fields are pretty relatable to our field. Um, there was, there's a, there's a study um, out of Canada that said that 76% um, of SLPs 
were experiencing mild to moderate signs of burnout. Now, when I read that stu study, um, a quarter of the SLPs that were given the questionnaire survey didn't fill out the survey. <laughs> so my guess is that most of those that didn't fill out the survey were also burned out <laughs> because they couldn't be bothered with the survey. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, I mean, if I were to hypothesize like how many SLPs struggle with burnout at some point, um, I would say it's really because although burnout is becoming more recognized and, and, and more understood, it's highly underreported. And I think that, that it would be closer to like 80%, you know, if I was going to hypothesize about how many SLPs suffer from burnout. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. And if you're looking over the course of a career, I feel like the estimate could be. Yeah, like 99. Or 100.2. But yeah, so that that really, that makes a lot of sense to me. And I think it's helpful just to get a little bit of the numbers behind it. Um, and I'm curious, like, what are the symptoms of burnout? Um, and maybe it makes sense. And I'll let you decide what makes most sense. But I'm curious, like, how do we know if we're burned out? And then what do you think about the causes of it? Like, it might be make more sense to start there. So, What's kind of cool is that it is being recognized more and more. It's actually burnout is in the ICD 11. <laughs> um, and it's, it's what it's defined as is burnout is a syndrome conceptualized as resulting, re resulting from chronic workplace stress that has not been managed. And there's three components. They define three components of burnout. Now, um, the first one is I always talk about, you know, if you picture like your spaghetti strainer, <laughs> if you're a bowl, normally when you're in burnout, you're a strainer and that it, it goes along with that first component of burnout, which is energy depletion. So you're physically, mentally, and emotionally exhausted. So that's the first, and these do occur in progression. That's the first part. Um, the second part that I see is what I call brain fog. And so there's, there's a mental distance. So your brain actually becomes pretty cynical, pretty critical, very negative. And that is really, that's a tough place to be because then once you're there, you're, it's really hard for your brain to see any kind of solution. Um, and then the third component is reduced professional efficacy. So you're just not as effective, which makes sense. Um, some other things that I see on top of this definition is a lot of, you know, just scatteredness, um, confusion, um, overanalyzing, over-questioning, lack of confidence, uh, something I call compare and despair. So you're comparing yourself to other people and, and you're in a lot of despair about that. Um, I see difficulty making decisions and I see defensiveness. Another thing that I want to say about burnout, and this is what happened to me, is, is what I call is perfectly hidden burnout. Like, really, there probably was some reduced professional efficacy on my part when I was in burnout, but really, no one would have ever known it. Like, I was still going to work. I was still turning in my reports and everything that I needed to do. It's just when I was getting home, I was overeating, um, watching Netflix, staying in my pajamas all weekend. And not because I wanted to, but because I, that was all the energy I had. <laughs> um, 
So, you know, I was just kind of going through the motions of my life. Um, then the, the other thing I see is I like to say your body's response to chronic stress, your body gives, will gives you like whispers, what I call whispers. So you'll get a headache, you'll get a kink in your neck, you'll have some stomach issues, you'll get, you know, you might get a sore throat. Um, for me, you know, now that I've been doing this work for quite a while, I, <laughs> my jaw is like my stress management barometer. Like, like if my jaw and shoulders are tense, I know that I need to go back and manage my stress. Um, so your body gives you those little whispers and most people, most of us don't really listen to those. We don't really connect that it has an underlying stress-based um, cause. And the thing is, is when you start living from that place, you're very dependent on the world co cooperating with you, right? So it's like you're constantly living from an anxious place of, I hope nothing happens because I can't handle one more thing. But we're humans and we live in a world and one more thing always happens, right? And it's just kind of a, it's just a crappy place to be. <laughs> yeah, that is definitely a crappy place to be. And I, oh, I just love your analogies. And like, I take some notes during these, <laughs> like, my pages are already full. Um, <laughs> like, so much good stuff. Um, I love the bowl versus the spaghetti strainer analogy. Like that makes so much sense. And um, yeah, I think I can definitely relate to the, what you called the perfectly hidden burnout because um, I was just picturing myself uh, <laughs> with the overeating Netflix pajamas all weekend. That was definitely uh, part of my life for a while there too. Um, and I just love what you said about the whispers because um, a lot of that stuff is happening for a reason. Um, so, so incredibly helpful. Uh, I think that's a great breakdown and a great kind of check-in for other SLPs too. The first step is being able to recognize uh, what's happening because then we can take yeah. some next steps. And that's the, th that's the tough thing about burnout is it's hard when your brain is kind of cynical and negative, it's actually hard to recognize it. It's, it's hard to have some openness and curiosity about yourself. That's the part. Yeah. So that's why, you know, I think education is, is huge here. Yeah, I agree. And you are the perfect person to break this down. So I am very excited. Um, and I think, so based on what you were saying, like burnout, comes from chronic workplace stress that hasn't been managed. Like, was there anything else that you wanted to say about the cause yes, there? There is more okay. <laughs> I want to say. So, so I've got a few, few things here. So yes, nobody teaches us how to manage stress. Like most people, we really don't know how to manage stress. Like we have these like clues like do yoga and drink a green smoothie and take a bath like but that doesn't really teach us how to manage stress um you know we don't learn it we certainly don't learn learn it in our training <laughs> we, we don't learn it in grade school we most of our parents don't teach us that um for me it's something i learned in, in becoming a life coach and, you know, there's things that happen in our world. We do have stressors and we do have triggers. Like I know that that's kind of a word nowadays, like <laughs> trigger warning. But, you know, my thing is let's not have a life where we have to avoid every single trigger because triggers are going to happen in our world. That's just part of being a human. You know, so things like, you know, you get three new avails 
you know, or you, you have some new students or you've got a student with some specific behaviors or, you know, you're asked to, you know, I don't know, write another report or just all those things come up and those definitely might be triggers, right? And so how do you manage those triggers? Um, not being able to manage them is the one of the big causes. The other the other thing that I like to um, think about is, you know, we don't know how to say no. Um, and I feel like part of this comes from our grad school training <laughs> because you think about grad school, it's like, I know for me, it was pretty intense. Um, it would be like, you have to push yourself through and then take this test, push yourself through and write that lesson, lesson plan and do your practicum and push yourself through and jump through another hoop and put, and we kind of condition ourselves to like live our lives that way, but it's not sustainable. And, um, I think you know, when I talk about, you know, people don't know how to, so saying yes and saying no, you know, people have just said yes to too many things <laughs> and they need to say, say no more, um, and create good boundaries, good, healthy boundaries. So, um, you know, specifically like time boundaries, right? So making sure you have a time to work and a time to rest and a time to be with your family and your loved ones and making sure your time is organized in that way. Now, something I continue to work on is, you know, when I, I have a coach, I am a life coach and I also have a life coach. And one of the things I continue to work on is a massive resistance to rest and relaxation. You know, so a lot of us are, you know, we're, we're watching Netflix, but the whole time in the back of our mind, we're saying, well, I should do this and I should do that. And I, you know, so we're not truly resting. Yeah, I can, I totally can see that. And I think like, I, I'm thinking back to the weekends when all I did was watch Netflix and I definitely didn't feel rested after doing that. And I think part of it is because like, yeah, I was just like lounging in my pajamas watching Netflix, but I was also like constantly scrolling through my phone and thinking about Johnny and Alice and like thinking about what I was going to do for my therapy plans and all of that. So I think there's, um, there's really an art to true relaxation, I think. Yes. And I think part of it is just, yeah, like I said, we have to kind of undo that tendency that we have to push through and just realize that it's not sustainable. And yeah, just getting into that wholehearted rest. And I think that, um, well, I'll get into my tips in a little bit. <laughs> I'm going to get into that. Um, but putting those time boundaries for your rest and putting your time, your relaxation in your schedule first, you know, because if you're not real, if you're not rested and you're not, you, if you're just, you have no energy, you know, you're not effective. Right. So that's just, it's just to really, you know, we have to work at undoing those tendencies though. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. Um, and it's like trying to pour from an empty cup because it might feel selfish or like, I don't have time to rest. Like, what are you talking about? I have my job and my three kids and all of this stuff happening. Um, but if we don't take that time, then yes, like we're not able to show up and be like our best selves for our students and our families and just for ourselves too. Yes. Yes. I'm so glad you said that because, and, and the thing is, is once you actually practice it and learn how to 
wholeheartedly rest and relax. I mean, it doesn't actually take as much time as you think <laughs> it would. Um, Cause like you said, like a whole weekend of, you know, having that brain spin of all the things you should be doing, but you're on, on the surface, it looks like you're resting, but you're really not in your mind. All that time isn't restful. Whereas if you actually just wholeheartedly rest for a, a, an amount of time, it really is rejuvenating. Um, so helpful. So I am getting, like, I'm super excited to dive into like some of the tips and tricks that you might have for us. Um, so let's say that an SLP is beginning to experience the signs of burnout or they're like they're deep in it. Um, what like tips or strategies or like what would you tell us if that's where yes. we are? So I have I have so much for you, but fundamentally the first thing is giving yourself the gift of, you know, openness and just giving yourself the gift of curiosity about, you know, what's going on? What, what do I need? Um, there's a meme, a meme, but there's, there's a graphic out there somewhere that it says, um, our students must Maslow before we can bloom. And I love that. So it's referring to Maslow's hierarchy of human needs versus Bloom's taxonomy of the educational objectives. Um, so basically, we have to take care of our human needs before we can learn and apply things and self-actualize. So just on a very basic level, you know, when you're in burnout, taking care of your physical needs actually starts to slip. Like make sure you're getting at least, um, at least, what is it? Um, half your body weight in ounces of water a day. Um, make sure you're at least, you know, moving your body in some way every day. Make sure you're eating nourishing foods that physically feel good in your body. It's, I mean, it doesn't have to be complicated, but just those, just taking care of your physical needs. Um, that's a place to start and just being very gentle with yourself and, and being curious, like some, a question, I like to use powerful questions with myself and my clients. And one of the questions that I ask myself and I have my clients ask themselves is, what's the matter, love? Like, What's, what's up? You know, like we ask our students, like, what's going on, baby? Right? Just asking yourself and open, opening yourself up to just being curious about what's going on with you. Um, because I think that helps to crack that cynical, defensive, uh, critical mindset that happens when you're in burnout. Um, the other thing that I touched on before is really creating clear time boundaries for yourself. You know, sometimes we, we get to a place and we realize, we realize that we, we've had, we've given too many yeses and not quite enough no's. Um, so making sure there's, there's that time for you to, um, rest and time for you to connect with your loved ones and definitely time to work. Okay. So I have, um, five, I have a five part series on my website. Um, five effective ways to get your time and energy back. So I'll just go through the list, but then I'll go in depth in each one. Does that sound okay? That would be perfect. Okay. So, so the first one, and now stay with me here because I'm going to explain everything, but the first one is front loading. The second one is zap the time suckers, then reclaim in between time. 
prioritize work. And then the fifth one is use constraint. So um, talking about front loading. So I'll ask you a question. So if I told you, okay, Marisha, you give me $100 on Monday. And if you do that on Friday, I'm going to give you 500. Would you take that deal? Of course. Right? Right. <laughs> so you would take that deal. And that's what front loading is. But most of us are really afraid to give that $100 up front. <laughs> um, so that's what front loading is. It's really just planning ahead. And but we have to really kind of make the case for it in our mind. And when I work with my clients individually, we look at what is going to give them the most bang for the buck. And one thing that I recommend, so there's a thing that's called decision fatigue. So when you're going throughout your day, we make a lot of decisions throughout our day. Um, and the more decisions you make, we make a lot of decisions as clinicians, right? Um, you, you, that takes brain energy. That takes a lot of brain energy. So I like to use the strategy of front loading to reduce the amount of decisions that you have to make throughout your day. So some of the things that I've done I'm not saying these are the right things for everyone, but just idea wise, like, you know, I eat the same thing for lunch every day so, and I pack my lunches on the weekend. I prepare my lunch on the weekend and I eat the same thing every day, <laughs> five days a week. Um, so I don't have to think about what I'm doing for lunch. Um, I, I recommend also like eating the same thing for breakfast. I just, I've been doing for about a year now, intermittent fasting. So I don't, for as far as that, I don't even have to worry. I don't even have to make a decision about breakfast anymore. Now I'm not saying everyone should do that by any means. It's just an example of how you can reduce your decisions. Um, I plan my outfits ahead of time. Um, you know, this is your expertise here, like work in themes. I use a lot of literature as well. Um, using materials that can be adapted for lots of different groups. One thing that I've decided too, is when I take my daily notes, I write one to two sentences, no more than two sentences with one piece of data. And then period. I don't, I don't do any more than that. That decision has already been made. That's what I don't um, spend a lot of time deciding what I'm going to include in my in my daily note um, for my for my um, sessions. And then a new thing that I've started is I'm doing for for like dinners. I'm making a monthly meal plan for my <laughs> family and I. So. I'm just, I'm making, uh, writing out all the dinners that I'm going to make. Not that I cook every night or anything like that, but what we're going to eat every night. And then I re basically repeat it every month. So, um, I already know what I need from the grocery store. I know, um, I just, it, there's not a lot of decisions that have to be made on a daily basis. Um, and when I work one-on-one -on -one with people, we take a in-depth look about, you know, what decisions might work, what kind of front loading might work for them so that we can stop up those energy leaks. Ooh, I love that. Like stopping the energy leaks. And I really appreciate all of the specific examples that you gave. Um, and like, I definitely agree with what you said. Every, like each person will need their, like everyone has their own energy leaks and um, there's definitely different areas that we could uh, work like work on reducing the decisions. But I really appreciate those examples because I think that really helps. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the next one is zap the time suckers, <laughs> which is 
kind of a funny name that I call it, but they really are time suckers. So it's to give it a definition, it's, you know, those activities, little things that we do that aren't quite aligned with our goals and what we want for our future self, or even just our daily goals. Like if you're, if your daily goal is to get your session notes in, but at the end of the day, you pick up your phone and you're scrolling on Facebook or whatever it is that you do, you know, that would be considered a time sucker. So now let me be clear and, and give this a little caveat. You know, there's nothing wrong with doing things to kick back. Like, you know, like we talked about before, like watching Netflix, there's nothing wrong with getting on social media and relaxing. There's nothing wrong with having a beautiful meal and, and a glass of wine or whatever it is that you do to relax. The, the caveat here is when we do it, um, as an escape or when we do it more as like to avoid the things that we really actually want to get done. Um, so I, I also call it like, an, you know, those numbing out behaviors um, that we do. So yes, we do need self-soothing and we do need relaxation, but I like it to be purposeful. So those times when you're, when you're engaging in those types of things as an escape, couple tips. So the thing is when you have, <laughs> when you have like, say for me, it's like when I have a report to write, especially like getting started, I don't want to do it. <laughs> I just don't want to do it. Um, so my tendency is, you know, if I, if I let myself just go, I'll go and, um, scroll Facebook for 10 minutes, or I'll go and commiserate with my coworkers for half an hour about how much work I have to do. <laughs> or, um, this is kind of a joke with my coworkers, but Mrs. Merced will get into the prize box <laughs> and, um, it just takes me away from, from my bigger intention and what I want to create because I like to leave work at work because I do have, you know, a husband and two little girls at home and, and I want to spend that quality time with them when I get home. Um, so we are doing those things to kind of, uh, avoid a negative emotion. So I want to get into just a little bit. Let's touch on emotion. So in life, we experience positive emotion and negative emotion, right? So that's just normal. That's a part of life. You're going to have positive things and you're going to have negative things that cause you to um, think negative thoughts and feel negative emotion. But I think there is useful negative emotion versus useless ne negative emotion. So some examples of negative emotion that's really not useful for us would be like regret, feeling regret, feeling guilt, which I know a lot of us SLPs feel that way, especially mama SLPs too. We feel the guilt, um, confusion, worry, compare and despair, those really aren't useful emotions, negative emotions. Whereas the feeling of discomfort could be useful. And when I say that, I mean, like when I go to write that report, it's uncomfortable. Like I don't want to do it. <laughs> it's uncomfortable. So this is a really fun tip. Wait for it. It's feel the discomfort. <laughs> Just let yourself be a little uncomfortable in the beginning. Now, you might not love that discomfort, but discomfort is better than um, 
what you might feel on the back end if you don't start the project, right? And that's where the regret and the um, confusion and the guilt and the overwhelmment, that's, that's where all those emotions start to come in that, are, that feel even worse than that initial discomfort. Does that make sense? Yeah, that does make sense. And like if we walk through an example, let's say we're, so we have this report to write, but we're avoiding the discomfort. And so we scroll on Facebook and talk to our coworkers. We don't get it done that day. And maybe we do the same thing a couple days in a row. And then the report is due on Thursday. So on Wednesday night, we're writing the report from home um, and missing out on time with our kids or our families. So then we've got like the discomfort still of writing the report, but then there's also like regret for doing the things that we did and maybe some guilt. I'm supposed to be helping my daughter with her homework or whatever it may be. So like, is that right? Is that how that would show us? And then I'm so glad you brought that up because then our brain has a tendency to, to like kind of be mean to ourselves. Like, why didn't you do that? And, and why can't you um, get this stuff done? And, um, you know, then we get into that is really unuseful when, when, you know, our brains do that, they kind of beat up on us. Um, so, but I have some more. I have some more tips for this too, though, to, to get, you, to get you through that discomfort though. So yes, maybe be willing to kind of feel that initial discomfort. Um, but the next tip is reclaim the in-between times. So I know a lot of us, you know, a lot of times in my schedule, I actually, you know, you there'll be an assembly or something or, a student will get picked up or something happens where 15 minutes opens up in my schedule or, you know, I'll, I'll get a little extra time that, that I didn't expect. Um, and then, you know, so actually let me back up a little bit. So when I work with my uh, clients, I have them actually do, um, most of them actually do a time journal. So we see exactly where their time is going. I do it in 15 minute increments. So that's something you can do. So you can kind of really get real about where your time is going throughout your day, your entire day. Um, so then, and the reason I have them do that is because I like to have people get rid of their to-do lists and put everything on their schedule instead because endless to-do lists um, are overwhelming and it doesn't really give you a good clear picture of um, time boundaries, which we talked about before. Um, so, so that's part of reclaiming those in-between times. It's like when, when everything is on a schedule, you can see when some time opens up for yourself and you're like, oh my gosh, like I don't have anything scheduled right now. You know, do I want to take this time for some purposeful rest and relaxation? Do I want to start this report that I have, you know, later that I have scheduled later? Um, and one of the other tips that I have, I highly recommend using a timer. Now in college, I always called it interval tasking, thinking like that I invented it, but <laughs> turns out it's called the Pomodoro technique. <laughs> um, so what I do is I use a timer. I try to chunk, we do this for our students, right? We chunk things into little mini steps. Um, use a timer, I work pedal to the metal for 20 minutes, and then I give myself 10 minutes to goof off. And then I, then I work myself, then I give myself another 20 minute interval where it's pedal to the metal, and then 10 minutes to goof off. Now, when I do that, 
it really gives, it really actually energizes my brain and gives my, gives me just some real focus. And that's one of the, that's one of the, thing, the things that really helps me get over that initial discomfort, that negative emotion that I was talking about. Um, and I've just found that to be, to help really help me really be very productive throughout my day. Now, um, I know it seems like a lot of time of goofing off, but when you have that uber, like I said, pedal to the metal focus, you're really getting a lot done. And the other tip I have, um, this is a strategy for overcoming, you know, raise your hand if you're perfectionist or a procrastinator or you're anxious, which isn't that like most SLPs? <laughs> I know I raise my hand to all of those. Um, I'm raising my hand. Too. <laughs> <laughs> so, the, but the tip is, think of it this way. When you get the first 80% of a project done as fast as possible. So those quick, massive bursts, you know, it's going to help you with your focus, stamina. And the other thing it's going to help with um, is help you hack your perfectionist fantasies. Now, today I was looking at my notes and what I was going to talk about today and prepare, and I caught myself fantasizing about how I wanted to prepare <laughs> to talk with you. Um, and, you know, I, I pictured myself going downstairs in my office and laying out all my articles and reviewing them. And so, you know, I caught myself actually using a lot of time fantasizing about how I was going to prepare rather than just preparing. And I think a lot of us do that. You know, there's that over-researching and just, you know, we do speech pathologists tend to overcomplicate things? Probably. <laughs> um, so I think just focusing on getting that 80% of the project done as fast as you can um, will really kind of help you get through that initial discomfort of starting a project. Um, I mean, I used to thinking about putting time boundaries on things. Um, I mean, now most reports I can write in an hour or less. And that's, that's you know, my reports, I work with um, third through fifth graders. So, I mean, the reports that, you know, I'm kind of used to writing, I can write them in, in an hour or less. And, um, but what I used to do is get super complicated and take a report home and literally probably spend 12 plus hours writing the report simply because I had no time boundaries for myself. I would say, well, I'm going to write this report on the weekend. So it would take all weekend. <laughs> um, yeah. And I know that like, especially for, newer SLPs, it's like, I don't know how long it's going to take me. Like, how do I put that time boundary or whatever? Um, and I think like we might not know, but we can just pick a time. And I feel like those, I think this is kind of jumping ahead to one of your future points, but I think we just have to take a guess and just go for it. And it's kind of surprising how that actually ends up working out. Yes. Yes, yes, because at least you have that mental expectation for yourself initially. Yes, and I'll get to um, a little more on that um, later on. But so the next one is, you know, just prioritizing. So that's just, just you know, thinking about your whys. Thinking about your whys. Um now, my priority, you know, in the past, I would say five years, I've realized how much my mental health is the most important thing. 
for me because that creates everything. Um, so that is my number one priority. But do I spend the majority of my time on that? No. Like, your priority doesn't necessarily have to be the thing you spend the most time on. The ne- I mean, the next priority is my family. But, I mean, we spend a lot of time at work. We spend a lot of time sleeping, too. Those are priorities, too. Um, so those those priorities might not always align with time. So it's good to just know that. Um, the other little little point I like to bring up is Stephen Covey has this um, concept of, you know, urgent versus important. So just thinking about the things that come up when I have my clients do their, their time journal, it's interesting, you know, we kind of go over what urgent things come up. So the urgent things are like, um, the example I'm, I'm thinking of now is like you go grocery shopping and then, you know, a day later you get home and you realize you forgot to buy milk. So then you got to go back to the grocery store and spend all that time <laughs> getting getting the milk, bringing it back home, doing what you were going to do with it. Um, or, um, oh, I just had another idea and I lost it. But basically when you're having a lot of urgent kind of unexpected things coming up, that is a lack of front loading. So it's that you got to pay that $100 on Monday so you can get that $500 back on Friday. Um, Versus, so the urgent versus the important things. So thinking about spending your time on those important things rather than the urgent things coming up. The other thing is um, some of us overcheck our emails, right? Like I, I really try to only check my emails once or twice a day because it's really just not that important. Like there's nothing that I need to, that urgent, that I need to be checking my email more than that. Um, so, so just, you know, kind of clarifying in your mind, what are the urgent things that are coming up? And what is truly important? Uh, The other part is clarifying for yourself your have-tos versus your want-tos. And now most of my clients, including, you know, I've I've had this too, is is they'll tell me, well, I have to work. Like, I, I have to pay my bills. Like, that's obvious. But something I tell them is you actually don't have to work and you don't have to pay your bills. (laughs) It's just, if you're honest, like you don't want to experience the consequences of not paying your bills. Like maybe you don't want to be homeless, right? Or um, another example is, is paying your taxes. People will say, I, well, I have to pay my taxes. I don't want to, but I have to. Um, and you really don't have to pay your taxes. It's just that you don't, you choose, you don't want to go to jail or pay penalties or whatever it is that you have to have to do. So um, I would clarify for yourself and give yourself that subtle but important distinction of you really you want to work because you do want to pay your bills because you don't want to be a bag lady, right? <laughs> or <laughs> you don't want to live, you you don't want to be homeless. So just giving yourself like, it is true. You do want to do these things. I think that part is important. And the last tip that I have, let me get, let me give this to you. I want to give you as many tips as possible um, is to use constraint. So that's kind of like, minimalism for your life and your career. Um, the, the problem with that is most people, when we hear the definition of constraint is limiting and restricting yourself. And when we hear that, what happens? You know, if you're going to limit yourself and restrict yourself, 
I know for me, the rebellious inner emotional child comes out and says, no, I'm not doing that. Or we have that fear of missing out. We get the FOMO. Or our perfectionist fantasies start coming out, right? Like, I have to get this right. Like, we have to make it overcomplicated. We have to um, do more and, and research more. And all of those um, all of those things that our brain does so that, you know, rebellion and the FOMO and the perfectionism create a lot of indecision and non-committal scattered energy in our life. That's a huge, you know, that's that huge energy and time drain that happens. So I do recommend that you constrain your time. And if you've ever heard of Parkinson's law, it's um, work expands to the time available. And who decides what time you have available? You are actually the one that gets to decide that. So going back to that, when I said the report would take me a whole weekend to write versus, you know, one to two hours to write. So constrain your time, you know, give yourself time limits to, to work on things and use that timer to help you. Um, the other thing is, you know, just constrain your materials. Um, and the things that you do, I know you like to, I like to work, um, do literacy-based lessons. And that just kind of constrains my materials so that I can use them in so many different ways. And the last thing I wanna leave people with, I know I've given you a lot, is just remembering that when you show up with your clients, there's been lots of studies in education with counselors, life coaching, although that's a newer field, so it's less studied. There's been a lot of studies that say your relationship with your client is the biggest predictor of your effectiveness. So just show up as a loving human being and just ask yourself, you know, can I be a human being today with my students, with my clients? And I think we can all answer yes to that. Um, and hopefully that will just kind of take the little bit of the pressure off. And so hopefully I've given you a lot of tips and things you can try like tomorrow and don't get overwhelmed with it. Just try like one thing. Oh, I love that. I love when episodes are packed with practical tips and this one is overflowing with them. Like so much good stuff. Um, and I definitely agree. So, cause I feel like we've got like a hundred things that we could do based on what you shared. Um, and that's definitely not the goal. Like this episode will be available for, I mean, at least for the foreseeable future, I don't think it's coming down at any time. Um, so just like pick one of the things you want to try next and see how that goes. And then if that's going well, you can revisit it and pick some more things or you can uh, like connect with Angie and like where would be a good place for people to uh, read more and or connect with you and just learn more if they're wanting to work on this. Yeah. So you can go to my website, slpburnoutcoach.com or you can email me at Angie at slpburnoutcoach.com, or you can uh, see my Facebook page, slpburnoutcoach.com. And connect with me, ask me questions. I'd be more than happy to answer, answer questions. Email me, reach out. I love talking burnout. So I love it. Well, thank you so much for sharing your time and expertise with us. Um, and yeah, I think this was a really helpful conversation and you definitely gave lots and lots of tips for us to start implementing. Um, and then, yeah, I'm excited to uh, see like for other SLPs to have the opportunity to connect with you and uh, work through some of this because um, yeah, if like if this is something we could conquer, I feel like our careers would be just that much more 
Amazing. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, so thank you again. I so appreciate you. And thank you. We'll see you next time. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the SLP Now podcast. This podcast is part of a course offered for continuing education through Speech Therapy PD. So yes, you can earn ASHA CEUs for listening to this podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please share with your SLP friends. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast to get the latest episodes sent directly to you. See you next time.